so our our Lenten read this year is uh, the Book of Joy. Um, you know, I've, I've really gotten quite skilled at um, sharing my screen here. So pretty high tech. This is the Book of Joy. Uh, it features perspectives from the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop, uh, the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, one of my heroes. Um, to get a gist of the book, the, the picture on the back is awesome. That's Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu in the black and Dalai Lama in the red. It's pretty obvious Archbishop Desmond Tutu is the better dancer. Dalai Lama is trying to kind of learn from him. Probably Desmond Tutu is learning from the Dalai Lama about uh, mindfulness med meditation. So everyone brings their gifts. Um, I met the, I, I met Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He was uh, he was like a joyful presence in the room. It was it was uh, pretty awesome. An Episcopal priest friend invited me to a a, uh, a group dinner with uh, Desmond Tutu. Oh my lord, lucky me! Anyway, um, love the picture on the book. Uh, kind of describes the joyful. Um, spirituality of both men and the first part of the book uh, covers obstacles to joy uh, so naturally i read the chapter on fear stress and anxiety uh, archbishop tutu has a great section in there about uh, just the fear and anxiety he lived under during apartheid uh, and, but the dalai lama uh, said something that caught my attention he said uh, more or less fear and anxiety can result from too much ambition and the unrealistic expectations we place on ourselves or are placed on us. And I thought, oh, there's a lot of us who can relate to that. Got me thinking uh, about different versions of faith that promote a hyper or excessive or even sometimes a compulsive preoccupation with sin, as if like the whole point of Christianity is to um, get us focused on not sinning. Uh, that can really ramp up anxiety and is a major joy sucker. I, I've been um, studying recently the different translations of the Lord's Prayer um, and noticing that the traditional translation of the prayer, when you dig into the original Greek, um, Actually, the traditional translation tends to highlight the focus on sin rather dramatically in the prayer, whereas the original language, um, the Koine Greek, the ancient Greek uh, that the uh, earliest manuscripts uh, use, doesn't do this. Um, so let's take a look at that. Um, the traditional version goes like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever. So it's beautiful. Um, it's also the version employed in one of the most powerful spiritual movements of our time, Alcoholics Anonymous. So I would definitely not discourage anyone from using that version, especially if it works for you. Uh, but I'm interested in words and their connotations uh, and their emotional impact, and also the difficulty in translating from the original ancient Greek of the New Testament into English. Um, 
despite the resistance to changing the wording of the Lord's Prayer, like with translation committees, they're always nervous about changing Psalm 23 or changing the translation of the Lord's Prayer because it like sets off a fire firestorm of controversy in churches that, um, uh, especially churches that are liturgical, Episcopal, Roman Catholic, etc. Um, but but many of these churches have done just that. They've uh, They've, they've uh, shifted the translation of the Lord's Prayer in a couple of key places, um, despite the, the, the controversy that always comes along with that. Um, uh, trespass has been changed to sin, and lead us not into temptation has been changed to save us from the time of trial. So curious about this change and what's the Greek behind it, I, I dug into it and discovered that the closer you get to the original Greek, um, and, and this is really siding with the scholarly consensus, there's really a powerful shift in the connotations of the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer away from what we might call a sin focus to one that is concerned with our human limitations and frailties rather than like personal sinning. I, I, I really wish I had known this earlier. So our reading today that Micah did for us is the Lord's Prayer in as close to the um, literal Greek translated into English as you can get the version in Matthew. There's a slightly different wording found in Luke's Gospel. So those are the two places where the Lord's Prayer are found in Scripture. I, I used a translation that is, I think, the closest to the original Greek um, uh, than we are used to hearing. It goes, Our Father in the heavens, may your name be held as holy, let your kingdom come, let your will come to pass, as in earth, so also, as in heaven, so also upon earth. But this is the section I wanted to focus on today. Give us today bread for the day ahead, and excuse us our debts, just as we have excused our debtors. Save us from the time of trial, but rescue us from him who is wicked. I'm going to take a look at this last half of the prayer, starting with, give us today bread for the day ahead. Um, this is a more accurate translation than the familiar, give us this day our daily bread. So that there actually isn't much doubt that give us today our bread for the day ahead, or tomorrow's bread, is the more accurate translation. Um, just consider the psychological shift that that brings. The traditional reading implies, you know, be happy if you have food enough for today, even if you don't know where tomorrow's food is going to come from. We call that food insecurity. It's, it's miserable to live with food insecurity. If all we have is today's food, we will eat our food in a state of anxiety. You know, we, we need a little buffer. We need a little money in the bank. We need a little food in the fridge, not just food on today's table. Sarah Rudin, an expert translator of ancient languages, including the Gospels, um, proposes that in the Roman Empire of this period, including uh, Israel, which is under Roman occupation, uh, large portions of the population depended on a daily uh, loaf distribution. It was like the, a public dole, and most people just had a, had a, had a loaf of bread that was enough for the day. Uh, uh, given to them like by the authorities. Um, 
but under occupation, um, no one who was dependent on that daily loaf distribution could be sure about getting it the next day. So this is a prayer for an anxiety buffer. Give us today our loaf for tomorrow so we can eat today's bread without worrying about tomorrow's bread. This is, this is Jesus saying through the prayer, you know, that's not too much to ask. We all need an anxiety buffer as well as provision for today. Now let's take the next line that flows from this uh, and uh, we'll look at the closer to the original language translation, but which also represents, a, a, I think, a considerable psychological shift, a more humane, a kinder, gentler approach to sin. Uh, and that translation is, excuse us our debts, rather than forgive us our trespasses, or the more modern, forgive our sins. The more literal translation excuse our debts as we have excused our debtors. Um, the, remember, there was a Greek word for sin, and it's not used in, in the Lord's Prayer. The word that is used in, in, in Matthew's Gospel especially is debt, meaning an economic debt, owing someone money. You could say, of course, that, and, and people do, and not without reason, that debt is like a metaphor for sin. And it could be, but it's also just as likely that in a society where the vast majority of people were under a crushing burden of debt, it could easily be a prayer to get out from under the burden of financial debt. I mean, what's the average student loan debt now? I think it's something like $37,000 after four years of undergrad and it takes 20 years to pay off. Of course, those 20 years are usually year, years where your income is lower than later in life. So if that's the average 37,000, uh, many more have much more than that uh, student debt. Add to that, you know, credit card companies enticing young people to get credit cards, pay the minimum, and then only later realize that they're paying what, 18.4% interest on the remaining, and that just accumulates, and gosh, after a year, you can, you can be under a pretty significant load of debt with that before you realize what, uh, what's going on with the credit card. Then you add, you know, in many low-income neighborhoods, you have these legalized loan sharks, um, you know, giving advances on paychecks at, at a horrible interest rate. So, so many people live under this like triple debt burden. Uh, I was listening to a Freakonomics uh, episode podcast. They had one on uh, poverty and um, the, the, um, the data behind um, various uh, poverty um, initiatives, anti-poverty initiatives. And they cited a study in Boston that said uh, white families have a median net worth of $250,000 in the city of Boston, while non-immigrant black families have a net worth of $8. That's a median, not a mean. Um, so let, let's say, as some do, the sample size was too small. There's, you know, there's some uh, dispute about this particular study, usually around um, uh, sample size. But let, let's, say, let's say the study underestimated the $8 by a factor of 100, you know, it's still a massive gap. 
the the actual wording of the Lord's Prayer seems to be focused on this problem than on our moral failings that we should all feel bad about. Uh, so in Luke's version, the Greek word employed is not the usual word for sin. Again, it's a word that means blunder or offense. So Sarah Rudin translate, uh, translate the Lord's Prayer, uh, this line in it, in Luke's Gospel, forgive us our blunders. This, this is a very Jewish understanding. Um, you know, in the, in the five different daily sacrifices of the temple that are in Leviticus, my latest favorite book of the Bible, the only sacrifices that deal with sin in those daily sacrifices, there are five different types of daily sacrifices, the only sacrifice that, that deal with sin address inadvertent offenses. So most of our sins are like blunders, are inadvertent offenses. We don't need to gin up guilt or shame for mistakes, for blunders, for inadvertent sins. We may be embarrassed, but it's not like we're guilty in the same sense as we are with intentional sins. We take responsibility. When we know better, we do better. Um, but it's a completely different uh, emotional view of our human vulnerability, isn't it? Uh, excuse our debts, forgive our blunders. Next uh, line is um, in the newer translation that's more accurate, save us from the time of trial rather than lead us not into temptation. You, you can see how the traditional wor wording, um, lead us not into temptation, serves to intensify the previous line, forgive us our sins. You know, forgive us our sins, followed by, and lead us not into temptation, implies what? Temptation to sin. And not only that, in English, temptation especially connotes sexual temptation. So the very next line, and deliver us from evil, makes it even worse. It's like, forgive us our sins, lead us, um, don't lead us into the temptation to sin, especially sexual sin, and deliver us from evil because our sinning, especially our sexual sinning, is so evil. You see how the connotation of that is a whole different psychology. But the literal Greek of the original is excuse our debts, or in Luke, forgive our blunders, followed by save us from the time of trial. A very different psychological impact. What does the original cultural and historical context suggest about save us from the time of trial? What would that be a reference to? One of the strong connotations of the Greek word is a judicial proceeding. Uh, the other connotation is more like an ordeal. So let's take them both in turn. Save us from the time of trial as a judicial proceeding is in an occupied nation like Israel at the time where justice is hard to come by in a judicial proceeding. You know, people under occupation are always fearing accusation from the authorities. It's like driving while black under a presumed a presumption of guilt, not innocence. Any teenage Roman soldier having a bad day could accuse you of anything and your goose was cooked. So save us from the time of trial in this connotation means save, save us from the trumped up charges, these false, false accusations from bullies with a badge. 
or the second connotation of the word trial is ordeal. In that case, save us from the time of trial would suggest things like save us from major threats that affect us all, like, like a global pandemic, um, like nuclear war, like a global depression, big ordeals we face from time to time, ordeals that are not like our personal fault. Finally, the last line, um, the literal language of Matthew is, rescue us from him who is wicked. This last line, by the way, is entirely missing in Luke's version. Um, again, different connotation than de deliver us from evil, especially when the line is tagged on to forgive us our sins, lead us not into temptation. Um, a Ukrainian could very properly apply the literal translation of this line to Putin. Deliver us, O oh God, from this wicked man. Um, you know, as the threat of nuclear idiocy rises uh, due to what's going on over there, we can all pray this prayer in this way. Deliver us from Vladimir Putin. Um, we can think of other rulers to whom this prayer might also apply. God, give us, save us from narcissistic, lying, sociopathic fools who exert enormous power and influence over many people whose wickedness affects us and the people we love. Save us from governors and state legislators who advantage the wealthy and disadvantage the poor, who pass laws that terrorize transgender kids and their parents, who use uh, rhetoric and support policies that, that um, hearten, give, give, give uh, excitement and, and thrill to the forces of white supremacy, and so on. This is a prayer for the world we live in. Deliver us from him who is wicked. And here the prayer ends. Everyone who has seen the earliest manuscripts available um, for the Gospels of Matthew and Luke um, say that the power, the glory are yours forever is a later edition. It only appears in much later manuscripts. Nothing wrong with it. Um, there's just no evidence it was part of the original prayer. It was probably inserted uh, for liturgical use of the Lord's Prayer. So there's something kind of stark embracing about the way the prayer ends without a nice bow to wrap it up. And all told, what, what a shift in the psychological, um, you might say the spiritual uh, difference uh, these, the, this more literal translation uh, promotes. The tra traditional translation gives us, you know, gins up these feelings of guilt and shame, anxiety producers and joy suckers. The Lord's Prayer, however, is not that. It's dealing with the creaturely limitations and frailties of being human and asking God for help, mostly for things that are not, in fact, our fault. As if when God considers us, this is what he's focused on in the same way that, say, a loving parent considers the limitations and frailties and vulnerabilities of a young child and, and wants to help. So um, for our meditation time, we'll take a little time, a minute or two, to close and um, think of our meditation a little bit like this. In, in uh, movie making, there's a thing called the reaction shot. Um, you, the director depicts what's going on, 
not by showing it directly, but by showing someone reacting emotionally to what's going on. You know, horror movies use this a lot. Um, you know, the, the scream, the, the, the reaction shot. This prayer um, recommended to Jesus' disciples by Jesus is, um, we can think of it as like a reaction shot of sorts. Uh, Jesus has an understanding and experience of God, and out of that experience of God, he recommends this particular way of praying. So th this is the sort of prayer that fits the God that Jesus knows. So for our meditation time, um, let's view the prayer as a kind of reaction shot of sorts. In other words, I'll, I'll, I'll pray these lines um, two or three times over the course of a minute or so. And um, for the meditation, don't like pray the prayer for yourself, but just picture someone else praying the prayer as if you're looking at a reaction shot in a movie. Picture someone else praying this prayer. And what does the prayer say about the God it is addressed to? Um, let's just take a minute for this. Uh, let's begin just by maybe having a couple of cleansing, relaxing, deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. And then I'll read the first, uh, first portion of this. Give us today bread for the day ahead and excuse us our debts, just as we have excused our debtors. Save us from the time of trial, but rescue us from him who is wicked. Let's sit with that. I'll read it again. Imagine someone praying this way. Give us today bread for the day ahead and excuse us our debts, just as we have excused our debtors. Save us from the time of trial and rescue us from him who is wicked. Amen.